I found out that my August smart lock um, for like the past month hasn't actually been locking. Hmm. Is that a feature or a bug? Uh, I don't know, but apparently when the weather gets warmer, um, like the insulating thing that keeps uh, like the draft and the air from escaping around like the door seal apparently like expands. So therefore it wasn't locking properly. And that's a, a very troubling thing to figure out. You mean like the door wasn't quite shutting all the way. So your deadbolt wasn't lining up with the, I don't know what the technical term is, the deadbolt hole. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do think if we asked Bob Vila or um, I'm sure Chip would know, he would say, yeah, it, it's deadbolt hole. Yes. Got it. Um, yeah. So apparently like the, whatever that insulating thing pushed the door out or like for like, just a tiny bit more where depending on how closed the door was, the auto lock function was probably only actually locking the door like a third of the time. Hmm. So yeah, that, that was um, interesting. No, I think I have it fixed, but it'll, it'll, we shall see. So yeah, it depends if my stuff's there on Saturday. Was the app reporting that the door was locked? Oh, you betcha. Hmm. Like, how would it know? Like it, it, it twisted. It just didn't know that it was. It didn't do its thing. Hmm. It's like if like Roomba just spins and cleans and, and like nowhere, and he's like on the balcony. Like, does that actually mean anything? <laughs> he he doesn't know he's not there. He's just v slamming into things. Or if he's on a cliff. Mm-hmm. Well, but again, I gave my uh, my Roomba the limitless drugs. You know, he's good. <laughs> Still, never seen that movie, but it's supposed to it's supposed to be a very bad movie. Yeah, I'm not gonna see that one. <sighs> Still need to rewatch Up in the Air. Anyway, so big week. A huge week. All right. This is going to be a quick episode, but we will talk about all the Apple stuff. And since you're more prepared than I, I think you're going to run most of it. I could do that. Yeah. So, so let me, I guess well, so is, it, is there any frivolous stuff beforehand or no? No, let, let's get to the good stuff. Okay. There's no, just like Apple doesn't mess around in the keynote, we can't mess around here. Well, specifically, I, I disagree. Um, <laughs> we need a 15 minute intermission about our new way we're making money, even though it's not relevant to anything that was discussed at all. So we can talk about Peloton or sorry, Peloton issuing their S one. I don't really want, I don't, I, I don't really want to talk about that. You, you're going to end up getting one within two years. There will be a Peloton bike in your house. Dollars to donuts. I, I think this is true. <laughs> well, maybe after all the donuts I eat, maybe I'll need one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right. So I'll ask you a question and then I can kind of take it from there. So how, how do you want to go about this in terms of order? Do you want to do John Gruber style and go from kind of things that you're most interested in? Do you want to go in chronological order? Uh, let's do a sandwich. Let's do most interesting. That wasn't the juicy stuff. Uh, you know what you, uh, this, this, you <laughs> forgot option C, which was choose your own adventure. So got it. Yeah. Let, let, let's do the sandwich. Let's do the most interesting stuff. So maybe, maybe let's talk about either iPad OS or Mac pro slash 10 DR display. And then we talk about watch OS <laughs> and services and all the, all the snoozy stuff. And then we can, we can bookend it. So I, I like the idea of picking kind of two big topics up front and then yeah kind of blowing through some of the rest of it and i I agree i think the two things that i most want to talk about are ipad os and the mac pro and i think right off the bat what's really interesting about that and this has been a common refrain by 
a lot of pundits and podcasters, et cetera, the last couple of days is going into the keynote. If you would have told me that the top things that people were talking about didn't include uh, what was formerly known as Marzipan, which is now Project Catalyst, I would have been shocked. Um, and that was a big takeaway from the keynote was, you know, we got 20 minutes, 25 minutes of the Mac Pro and the uh, Pro display and then got, I don't know, what, 5, 10 minutes on Project Catalyst. That's pretty, pretty unexpected. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think they covered kind of the broad strokes of what um, Marzipan slash Catalyst would end up being last year. And now it's just more fleshed out and people will have like four months to kind of prepare their apps and we would see how it goes. So I don't think it's gonna be like a night and day thing. It's not like um, like <clears throat> the uh, PowerPC to Intel transition where that took a lot of effort and that was a whole thing. Whereas this is just kind of, you can now shoehorn your apps and it makes it easier. So I don't know. I think... Yeah, people built it up where there was going to be this big, this was going to be like the fundamental rethinking of OS X. And this is going to set us up for the next 10 years of the operating system where Apple, even if that is their intention, either really slow played that or downplayed it to kind of an extreme degree. Where yeah, OS X Catalina looks basically the same. I think they kind of slow played it in the sense that they, you know, they've, they've already really been talking about it for a year. And this was, instead of being a new announcement, this was kind of just the next step in something that they, you know, already announced last year. And in a lot of ways, we've already spent, you know, the last year talking about it. So yeah, I know, maybe, maybe the explanation for why it didn't really seem like as big of a deal as some expected is as simple as that, is that this wasn't a new thing. This was just something that Apple's going to continue to iterate on and it's take, it's taken the next logical step. I think it's probably the audience too. And that's probably why the Mac Pro has kind of like an outsized presence for a product that's going to be overall probably fairly inconsequential. Where, I mean, we've, um, like all the T word people have been thinking about Marzipan and kind of the future of OS X for the past year. So we've spent so many mental cycles on what that means and what the direction of the platform is, where this is kind of like, okay, yeah, this is in line with what we expected it to be. And maybe Slack might not be an Electron app um this time in december so yeah i think that's that's most of the os 10 stuff i'm super bummed it's not os 10 east cut but catalina's <laughs> not a bad name no it's it's pretty good it it didn't it wasn't my prediction which was mammoth but maybe next maybe next year is is mammoth is not a national park it's just like a snowy area in southern california right yeah 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 os 10 big bear That'd be pretty good. Ooh, why can't they? They did cat names. Why can't we do like OS Ten Grizzly, OS Ten Kodiak? Like these would be great names. Hmm. Well, don't don't just give them away here. You, you give away too many good ideas. I know. I I, I, I keep. Uh, I'm trying to snipe for WeWoof.com. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's follow up on that in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, I'll email Tim. Yeah. <laughs> except except to make sure he reads it, I'll just put services, services, services in the subject line. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So yeah, let's let's get into. I guess let's start with the Mac Pro of, okay. our, of our two big topics here. So you're a little bit more plugged into this space than I am. So let me actually what, start. What, it. what space? I don't know. Just the um, high end, one? high end tech, high end. Uh, knowing kind of knowing what the people want. 
Well, it'll, it'll make sense with my question here. So obviously, and you, you pointed this out a minute ago, the Mac Pro really does get a outsized um, level of attention in the T-word circles. You know, it's, it's product by Apple's own admission that appeals to a very, very, very small percentage of their user base, but it feels like it's a product that just gets talked about all the time um, from the people who we read and listen to. I mean, ATP's logo, which I had actually forgotten, was the, is the uh, trash can Mac Pro. Um, so let me, so the, my question is, developers seem to be really excited about the idea of a Mac Pro, but this isn't the machine or the monitor that they would have really been hoping for, right? Like, isn't, isn't this machine way, way overkill and the monitor too, just way overkill for even relatively hardcore developers? Like, isn't this really meant more for like photo and probably even more so video professionals? So I would, I would say you're half right. Or I think, um, that would the, the it not being for high end like your your average high end Mac user, I would agree that the um, the Pro Display does not really meet what they would have wanted. Or even though it's on, on a specs basis and in terms of like color reproduction, is supposed to be amazing in that respect. It is not probably what most people wanted. But the Mac Pro itself, I like. I don't know. I I think it probably is. Like this is a very niche product and. Um, like we'll we'll get to the kind of what the Mac Pro is and why it's important and why people have made such a stink about it. But like since so many people have moved to laptops and like compute power on like even though people keep trying to shit on Intel uh, for getting behind on like eight, ten, and twelve nanometer processes, like the processing power that you can get out of a modern day laptop, especially the new chips that they put into the fifteen inch Mac Pro, are are pretty damn good. So. Like a lot of those customers that may have been entirely reliant on a Mac Pro just because that was the only way to get the level of performance for parallelized processes in the past. Um, yeah, a lot of that's moved to the iMac and the and the laptop line. So the Mac Pro, like, I mean, it being a, a niche product, it like it's fine that it's super expensive and that for a lot of people, I mean, if you look at it on a, on a specs basis where it has a... 1.3 kilowatt power supply where it can support up to a 400 watt TDP CPU and all that kind of stuff with like, I think that's 12 RAM slots. Like it, it's a very, very impressive computer and it's a very, very powerful, powerful computer. So I think for the people that were complaining and wanted this type of computer to exist again, I think it's mostly what they wanted. I mean, do I wish it would have cost, it started at $3,000? Sure. But I don't know. I'm happy it exists. I guess my overall takeaway from it and kind of what I'm getting at with the question I just asked is it feels like the Mac Pro, which was already a pretty niche product, has become even more niche now. Yeah, um, maybe. Like, I, I think it's addressing the niche that it now lives in more than it used to in the past, where it used to be just a very general purpose, fast computer. That role is taken up by the iMac Pro, the iMac 5K, and the laptops for most people. So a lot of 
specialized industries and and this is kind of one of the things where like like when i like when we were growing up like you always saw like those aspirational computers like you, you saw the mac pro next to the like the 24 and 30 inch impossibly big impossibly expensive cinema displays like whenever you'd go down to comp usa or something and like you were like this is amazing and you saw like running a demo a demo of final cut and it was just like it was a really impressive cool computer and that's kind of what a lot of people identified with is like apple was always the company that would actually serve those high-end markets um and tailor and, and cater to the needs of professionals especially in the uh creative and design fields so like i don't know like i think it makes a lot of sense where general purpose like computing tasks and development can be handled on fairly satisfactorily on a lot of their other machines where something like this where you can have like a hardware decoding compute card that only works on processing like 4 and 8k video um where you can have a specialized card that does that stuff better than is offloading that to the standard um x86 processor like that stuff seems like sure it's it's maybe overkill or like a, a niche product becoming even more specialized but like for what it is i think i think it works the computer you can sort of sell me on and i i think i i can kind of see why they built it to the spec that they did but the the monitor is the part of it that i'm having a sort of a harder time figuring out and what I mean is it just it really does seem like there would be a huge opportunity for Apple to to come out basically with the 5K iMac display but without the iMac built into it. So still a really high-end monitor that would still be priced at a pretty hefty premium would presumably have really good margins and be more akin to the cinema display that you you just mentioned because Unlike the Pro Display uh, XDR or 10DR, as you would say, the cinema displays, you know, if memory serves, were something like $1,200, $1,500. So still very, very expensive, but much more in an attainable range and, you know, not in the six thousand dollar range that the the pro display effectively ends up being in so i mean don't don't you think there's an opportunity for apple to make a really good monitor that's a bit more accessible to everybody yeah but i also think there's an opportunity for apple to make routers and i think there's an opportunity for apple to make a lot of stuff um that they have recently chosen to not make because it's not worth their time so yeah, I would say you're right, and I do think they went maybe too high end for this because like if, if your entire marketing presentation is that Sony makes a very very expensive forty thousand dollar monitor for people that are mastering like Blu-ray movies and like that Sony Pictures, like I mean that that makes sense I guess, but pitching that as the only user and being like this costs a tenth the price, like I get it, but I, but it's it's making that product a lot narrower than it has to be and i know people really want apple to make um like a good cinema display that's of of reasonable quality that people would want to buy and that just like anybody who wants a nice high-end thunderbolt display to connect to their um retina macbook pro or or have a second screen on their imac or whatever like i i get why people want that and i think apple probably should provide it but like modern day apple seems to 
not want to do that stuff. And again, the Mac Pro is a product that even though even though now they're leaning into the fact that they really care about it, allegedly, or like this is their new future-proof, insanely expandable and modular computer for, for pros, like this is a product that they really didn't want to make. And they thought the iMac Pro was going to be plenty and they got pushed into a corner sort of. And like, I'm actually still not entirely sure why they budged on it and they didn't just say, yeah, fuck it. But, um, yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's an important product that they, that they decided to make and give it the role and hopefully they won't have to touch it for a while. They can just kind of keep putting CPU, uh, CPU bumps into it. But I mean, the computer, I think, I think is a very solid choice. The display, I mean, yeah, it is a little confounding that they made it just so, so expensive and designed for one specific use case where there's kind of only going to be one customer for it because who who's going to spend six well actually no it's it's a budget because you know apple wants to give you choice so it's only it's only five thousand dollars if you want the non-matte one and then you can just have like some neighbor kid hold it for you <laughs> or well, so, so and that's i think the bigger part of the story for the monitor is the fact like yeah it is the price is the fact that the pricing is absolutely fucking insane where and i I forget the name of the of the dude who um did the introduction but it it was a very anyway it it went it went well until the last 20 seconds in which case he became a marathon runner and just got the fuck off the stage so quickly after they talked about the pricing it's it's really something so and, and i will clip the audio so that you can drop it in here but basically they say that the visa mount adapter will be 199 and the Pro Stand, $9.99. And like the Mac Pro, they'll all be available in, this, in the fall. So that is a new Mac Pro and Pro Display XDR. Now back to Tim. And you knew the price was going to be so bad when, or not so bad, but it was going to be very costly when they kept bringing up that $43,000 Sony 31-inch um, reference monitor. Um, because like they're like, yeah, all these features, higher brightness, 1,000 nits, whatever, whatever, for a tenth the price. Where the um, the glossy finished version is uh, five thousand dollars, and the um, what is it nano etched? What what is the what is the thing that they use to describe the matte finished version? Nano etched, and the the other bizarre part about that too is they made no reference to that version of the display during the presentation. They didn't talk about it. Yeah, they they talked about it where that you can you like rather than getting like the sparkly kind of. Um, matte finish thing that they got the crisscross pattern where it diffuses light in a certain way. Like, so yeah, they, oh, they, they did cover it before. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, please, please clip that audio because, um, Oh no. Cause it's, it's the best. So yeah, so they, they announced the pricing of both of the monitors. So 5,000 and $6,000 and the, the excitement was a lot more muted when that came out. But I mean, people weren't um, upset. They are like, they, it was just like, oh, that's way more expensive than I thought it was going to be. This is this is much more of a maybe than a sure thing now. And then they talk about they talked about how flexible it was to mount and how it could rotate in a portrait um, orientation. And also, they kept talking about portrait mode, and it felt really funny because they already burned that term on the iPhones um, BS fake uh, fake bokeh camera thing. But yeah, so you can flip it into portrait uh, orientation, and with that new fancy standard, it's like, oh, this is, this is really cool. It looks like the um, like the the split volleyball iMac G4 from 2003. So yeah, so people like were super excited about that. So they talked about how much the monitors cost. People were like, oh, that's super expensive. But then they talked about the stands, 
where the visa mount thing, which is it is two hundred dollars, great. And then they talked about the pro stand, which is the one that allows you to rotate it and um, looks really nice. And it's a thousand dollars. And they're like just this, the sound were just these odd, confused gasps. And even the presenter was like, he he started, and, and, and I'm I'm bad at public speaking, so I, I'm not trying to um, throw shade, but like. He started stammering a little bit because he he just I think was really not expecting the reaction of everybody kind of like not turning on him but just being so not into it because like with the reality distortion field like that's not strictly a Steve thing that's just kind of a general Apple event thing where you want to like whatever they're talking about even though you know everything that Apple does is going to be double the price of what it should be plus forty percent like you you want them to release something that's really really cool. But I think nobody was having the price of the stand. And if you're going to make it this expensive, just say the fucking thing costs $6,000. Like, who cares? Like, why parcel it out if you're already at that point? Like, it just feels like, I don't know, find a way on the website to bury it and say, oh, yeah, if you just want the visa thing, we'll we'll knock five, we'll give you a $500 discount or something. I, I have no idea. But you have to sell it separately as $1,000 something that costs the same as your top-of-the-line medium-sized phone, which I have rallied against as being too expensive on its own. Wow. Like, I, I, I guess I need to retract everything I've said for the past 50 episodes about the iPhone being expensive. No, uh, like an inanimate object that does nothing but hold up a very, very expensive screen, something that Darth has offered to do for the same price. Like, uh, wow. Um, also, in the demo and hands-on area, it had its own table entirely to itself with no screen attached to it, which is pretty, I, I can't tell if that's a tongue in cheek thing or if that's just the most um, like unself-aware thing ever. So it was later discovered that the purpose of that table was to bring open the monitor in an AR thing that Apple had going that did the same you know, like during the presentation, they took the monitor and can kind of show, like kind of broke it apart and showed like the different layers of it. The The purpose of that stand was to kind of do that same sort of demo. But without that context, it did, oh, no, it's, it did it's look so much better funny. if you don't know that. <laughs> um, gosh, yeah, a lot, a lot of lots to unpack there. They they did do the remember they did the same thing for Apple News Plus. Where they're like, hey, if you were to subscribe to these 8,000 magazines, it would cost you like $10,000 a year. But hey, ours is only 10 bucks a month. Isn't that great? So th they did the weird uh, pricing uh, comparison. Well, they, 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 they did the ShamWow guy thing, which is just like, <laughs> right, that's not, yeah. you're a prestige, a trillion dollar market cap um, technology company that's creating impactful experiences. Like, why, why would you? Why, why, why? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, yeah, the, the reaction to the price, I think, was really m mostly because of the way the way that it was done. It wasn't even, I mean, obviously, the, the numbers themselves have a lot to do with it. But I have to think that the response would have been more muted had they just said, you know, the display is $6,000. But if you want the version with the visa mount, then it's going to be 
5,200. And obviously people can back into the same math that you could doing it in the order that Apple did. I just, I don't think that would have been people's first thoughts. So I don't think you would have gotten that, that kind of initial shocked reaction or and they could have just buried it on the website and just spent like a, yeah six thousand dollars and for specialized people because who, who other than jason snell and like some nerds who would want to like mount this to the wall like who knows what a fee amount is nobody that's what that's what i was actually going to say next is i think the really smart thing to do would have just been to say hey the monitor six thousand dollars end of story and then just like you mentioned you know have the story later where if you want to do the visa mount, then hey, it's it's you know it's it's this price. But your initial announcement just say hey, here's the monitor and stand at six grand, and you know there I think people still obviously would have had a ton of thoughts about that. But the way they decided to do it was, I mean it was it was just bizarre. Like me in real time going through it, I thought five thousand dollars was the price of the the monitor and stand, which you know, I thought was, it was crazy, but I was like, all right, well, it is what it is. And then they showed the visa mount thing for like 200 bucks. And I thought like, oh, yeah, look, actually, yeah, that, that price sort of, I guess, makes sense. Well, I mean, cause it's just like the iMac where you, I think it costs extra. Like, even if you don't want the stand, like, cause like Jason has talked about this on upgrade where, yeah, it's a, it's a separate charge. So that totally made sense. But it's, it's, it was that follow on thing, which yeah, so you so you thought okay, so it's it's two hundred bucks extra on top of my you know five thousand dollar monitor. Like, all right, I get it. And then when they talk about the pricing of the stand, like I I had the same reaction that I, I think it was Casey or maybe it was Marco on ATP where they go like, wait, so is that like is that the price of an extra stand? Because they I think they did mention at some point during their presentation that it was really easy to kind of like undo it from the stand. Well, it, it's like why that Mac Pro has wheels. They're like, oh, yeah, exactly. this is a modular yeah. setup where yeah. you're using it on location. Yeah. So it's like, oh, okay, yeah. So you're going to be able to, like, you know, attach it quickly to a second stand. And then, you know, so I, that was, like, my first thought. And then, you know, a half beat kind of went by. And then I went, and I, I heard the gaps, too. And I'm like, wait, wait, does that, does that mean the stand is separate? And that's where I messaged you and then you go, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it is separate. And then the, the fallout kind of just continued from there, which again, I just think could have been entirely avoided had they uh, just come out with the price, which clearly, especially when you factor in the way that they then reacted to the reaction, Apple was super, super insecure about the pricing here in a way that reminded me a lot of when Tim announced the addition of the first Apple watch. It was the exact same thing where he really, really just sped through the price and then just like tried to immediately sweep it under the rug. That that felt like exactly what they tried to do here. Eh, Kind of like I I can see the parallel there, but like, hmm. I mean, at, at least with that though, there had been some groundwork laid by Gruber and others beforehand, which sort of started to have people anticipate there being just really crazy prices on the edition watch. But here, I, you know, the, the Mac pro pricing was about the only thing that didn't leak ahead of time uh, from this event. So I think that really did catch people by surprise. Yeah. So, uh, the design language or the way they, they look, how do you, how do you, how do you feel about it? Cause they both look very, very similar. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, I really don't like the design. 
I mean, I, I get the fact that it's, it's a machine that's not really meant to be stylized like the, the rest of their products are, which for the type of environment you'd expect this machine to be used in makes sense. And in, you know, in some ways, I guess I'm glad that Apple did choose, um, you know, sort of function over design, which is something that sometimes they don't quite do, but I, I, I really, I really don't care for the design. I just, I don't really like the way it looks like, I think it's, it's kind of that futuristic retro look, but in kind of all the wrong ways. And I'm, I'm shocked that they carried that same design over to the monitor. That's the part that I really, I really, really don't get. I, I could see the case for it on the case, bad pun, um, on the, on the tower, but on the monitor, it's just, it's just not a very, it's not a very nice design. I don't think. Yeah, this is, this is a super ugly computer. Um, and and what's weird about it is like everything else about it, like the, the inside of it, the way the outside of the case slides off, even the wheels. I mean, everything else about its aesthetic is incredible. Even the little MPX modules are really cool, but it's just, it's just those, um, the kind of cheese grater holes that are just, they're just weird looking. Yeah. So let me get in the thing. Yeah. So, I mean, like the, the Power Mac G5, like, I mean, in terms of the internals looking really, really, um, good and compartmentalized i mean it's mostly a holdover from that like it's been refined a little bit but if you look at the um uh the new mac pro and this one like it doesn't look that dissimilar um and like in the the original cheese grater design that johnny um put together like 15 years ago like it was a really good design and and they this was supposed to be the evolution of it but it just yeah it's it I, i i think it's i think it's really ugly but i think you you would get used to it eventually um and again it's for most people it's an under the desk thing it's not gonna be something that you you stare at or it's gonna sit right next to you so eventually you would you would get over it um or a micro on you but on the display yeah also fairly ugly but the thing is if you look at it head on and who like very few people are going to have this in an environment where you're going to be seeing the back of the monitor much um yeah whatever again like again both are just kind of meh um the other part with that is that uh what was i gonna say and like the whole purpose of most of these is it's supposed to be kind of an extravagant but functional design where the um the fact that it's able to push a lot of air through what's going to be probably a very 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 warm computer uh kind of necessitates really good airflow so it it, it makes sense but yeah, it's it's going to be a polarizing design. But again, it it's not a computer that many people are going to buy, so it doesn't actually matter. Right. It's not iconic is the wrong word, but it's de- like it's definitely striking and and uh, visually distinctive. So yeah, I mean, whatever. I'm happy. I'm happy this computer exists. And if Lightroom ever, if Adobe ever got their act together to actually paralyze. Uh, parallelize the um, operations of Lightroom effectively, uh, I might actually want this computer. But as of now, it is not worth it. The display never, but the computer, I guess as like a 10-year strategy computer, probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but it currently is not for me. If they refresh the iMac Pro, 
and I can convince you to buy my old one, that might be something that would happen. That's, I mean, yeah, that, I guess maybe we can kind of wrap up on the Mac Pro here. That That's my takeaway is I think there's a strong case to be made for certain users with the tower, but the monitor just seems unnecessarily high-end. And I, th- I think the way that they could have just <laughs> totally perfected this announcement would have probably been to basically keep everything about the Mac Pro the same, but then come out with a $2,000 really good monitor. I think that would have been a total home run. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, and I don't think that's entirely outside of the question because like, cause there is my... And this is the confounding thing about modern-day Apple, which is... And, we probably won't have time to get to it, but there, and I don't necessarily entirely understand the um, th- what the what was announced. But there was a thing about HomeKit routers or like secure routers powered by Apple, where it's just like, you know, you just make this yourself. Like you you are a trillion dollar company with tons and tons of employees, and you could just hire more. Um, like you could make these products themselves. But I think Apple would push back on the the having a second display thing by saying that, um, like, we're a focused company. We don't need this many products. We pride ourselves on having every product we we make fit on a table, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, there's a lot of stuff where there's definitely money to be made and there is a viable business. But apparently it's not a large enough business where they just won't bother to do it. And I think the pro display even though they will probably sell very 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 few of these to anybody outside of the entertainment industry it's a thing where like i don't know it's it's like um like it's a, it's, it's a branding exercise like in in again like this is, this is something i've said it has been missing with apple for a very long time which is like it for a lot of for a lot of people kind of fell off being an aspirational company in terms of computers it kind of is still sort of that way with phones but like the mac pro or like, sorry, the Power Mac G4 and G5 and all that stuff, like when I was growing up, like that was just always like a really, really cool thing that you're like, you know, like no, nobody, like a, a teenager would never have this, but it, it was kind of like the Ferrari of computers. Um, and it's cool that they have that again, even if it's very, very niche. And for most even high-end computer users, there are better options in Apple's lineup, but, I, but I'm happy it exists. Yeah, I, I guess the reason I'm so hung up on the monitor too is my experience with the cinema you display for it. <laughs> but yeah but you bought you um you owned the, like the 24 inch like one that had the like the um exploding cable thing that not like in a samsung sense but like the, the thing where the cable broke out into like um what was it called magsafe and all the other stuff yeah exactly the, like the monitor effectively doubled as like a dock for your yeah. for your uh macbook and you know that was a product where Growing up, like when I was in middle middle school, high school, I it's like a product I aspired to get someday because it it was a it was a really expensive monitor. I think it was it was something like twelve to fifteen hundred, yeah, yeah, or yeah. maybe yeah, so, something like that. Um, and so senior year of college, I had been saving up money, saving up money, and then eventually got it and absolutely loved it, and. I I I get I guess I get that it's not an an, an enormous market, but and I'm 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 obviously the, the furthest thing from a hardware engineer, but it does seem like given what they've put out with the iMacs now, that they 
presumably would have already done a lot of the work towards being able to basically just take that display and offer it as a standalone display. And, you know, unlike the router thing, I mean, the, the I think Apple making routers is important for non-economic reasons. And you can, I'd refer people to Jason Snell's well thought out um, thoughts on that. But with monitors, it it really does feel like Apple could make a cinema display or like a, a retina cinema display for a price that would still be more attainable, but still have high enough margins where or high enough gross margins, I guess I should say, where even if they didn't sell a ton of them, it would still be worth their time. I mean, I don't know. I could be grossly oversimplifying it, but um, it just it, it feels it feels like that's it feels like it's a product that makes sense. No, I mean you're not wrong. Again, it it, it goes hand in hand with the routers and a lot of the other stuff. Where, um, yeah, it just seems like these could be viable businesses, and most other companies. If that was their, like, I assume if Apple made routers, like, again, that would be, like, the equivalent of, like, a Sonos, like, just as a company. Like, you, most people think Sonos is a viable going concern, where, like, if, if Apple, like, same thing with, the, like, the HomePod. Like, these, these are individually important, self-sustaining businesses, but it's just weird where Apple draws the line on what is worth their time and what they feel is too niche. My my only guess is that Apple has some statistics around the number of their users who connect laptops to monitors or of those people how much time they spend connected to monitors. And those those statistics must just lead them to think that even that which I don't know people like you and me consider to be a pretty standard use case actually maybe in the in the grand scheme of things actually isn't all that common because I, I could see that i mean i i do presume that the you know significant majority of people who use laptops don't really ever connect them to monitors but do you think that would be any different if apple had a blessed and endorsed first party product that they said hey this works great with it i, I mean i like, certainly i think, I think that I would, certainly would i would yeah i would think so yeah, I would definitely yeah. think so. But <sighs> okay, so once we get a few more sponsorships, maybe, maybe a Mac Pro, but probably not. Probably not. All right. Uh, do you want to blow through some of the unimportant or the like the less exciting parts? No, we've we've got the other big topic. Oh, that we're going to sandwich it. Oh, that that's what you meant by sandwich. Got it. Um, yeah, we 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 could do that. <laughs> what do you think a sandwich means? I don't. Um, I don't really know. I thought it meant. You were going to film a creative ad video or something. That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> he was at the talk show. He was. Um, yeah, I, I, I a few days ago I was thinking about. Remember Coin? Remind me of what that one is. Uh, the one I think you bought one, didn't you? Uh, is the thing where oh. you could load like six credit cards into one. Oh man, I did. Yeah, and it was very not a good. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I'm not sure that I ever actually used it to purchase anything i set it up but i don't yeah i don't know i think i was like too insecure to actually try using it it was like using an fc two years ago yeah 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 uh, okay so yeah so the the, the the less exciting stuff or the more routine stuff um 
watch os 6 i think is the number we're on now yes so four or five new watch faces um there is a new streaming api or something that developers can use where it now seems like getting pandora and some other third-party audio um apps including uh being able to stream podcasts over cellular independently on the watch is now going to be a feasible thing or something that somebody could um go ahead say the, the million dollar question there is whether that api or some other set of apis that are going to work with this streaming stuff will allow uh synchronization of progress across devices because that's that's going to be key with something like Overcast is not only is Marco going to be, be able to need to stream the audio, but he's also going to need it to make it so that you can pick up where you left off most recently on your um, on your other device, similar to how Apple's podcast app works between all your iOS devices and, um, and the watch. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Um... It sounded like, based off this week's ATP, that he intends to explore all of those options and try to get that going. Even though it's still, he's as he's mentioned in the past, it's used by very, very, very few people. But I think I think streaming would be used by more people. I still think it would be probably a small number, but the current solution, even for hardcore nerds like me, is super fiddly. So it makes a lot of sense to me why people don't use the current setup. But I, I do think if they had or if, if Marco had a, a seamless, you know, um, synchronized streaming setup on the watch app, I think I think more people would use it. Yeah. Um, there's also now going to be a very stripped down basic app store that uh, appears on the watch, um, which goes hand in hand with um, watch apps that are now entirely independent of the phone itself, which is pretty neat. Um, but those independent watches must be written in swift ui is that accurate i think that's right that that the last 30 minutes of that presentation man it's i started i started losing the thread a little bit so once they started doing that um the minecraft ar demo i i kind of just checked out yeah um yeah, I was still, as, as young people say, I, I was shook by the pricing of the monitor. So that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't quite understand. Like, I, I guess I don't understand quite what it means to to write like true native apps to the watch. Like, I, isn't that what we already have? Or is it just the case that the watch apps are still kind of just like, this is not the right phrase, but basically there's like a web view into something that's running on your phone. Well, it's, it's where most of, of the compute stuff happens on the phone itself and where the, cause that's kind of what happens now where whenever you open an, an app on your watch, that's a third party one for the most part, it kind of in the background is opening the app on your phone and the phone is doing the vast majority of the work. Some things have gotten to the point where it is mostly running independently on the watch, but now no phone companion app is necessary whatsoever. Got it. Okay. And that's sort of why like Apple's watch apps are native. And that's why things like the podcast app, for example, is quite a bit more robust on the watch compared to something like Overcast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's neat. 
Um, and, and like, like watch, watch OS. Like I, I have very few complaints. It's been, it's been pretty solid. So yeah, each incremental improvement is, is, is better. I do, um, sympathize and, and there are some developers on, uh, cause I like, again, I don't use Twitter much these days, but I, I will use it for like keynote Twitter and people were kind of bringing up the fact that this is maybe Apple's third or fourth kind of let's start from scratch with the watch for app development where it's kind of a um charlie brown lucy football situation which is like how many times is it gonna get pulled away from you or how many times are you have to rewrite your app for them just to be like no no we're gonna rethink this approach later that's yeah that's that is complicated because i certainly get that view especially if you try to put yourself in the mindset of a developer but i guess more from the mindset of a consumer like me who doesn't really know the first thing about development is I'm actually kind of glad to see Apple admit when they're wrong because it goes without saying that Apple from time to time can be quite stubborn. See something like the keyboard in the most recent set of MacBook Pros. But it, it is, it's kind of nice to see them acknowledge when something's not working and just sort of blow it up. I mean, I, I wish... I wish they would have gotten to this point a little sooner and not had the iterations that they've had. But I think a lot of it goes to what uh, Federighi brought up in the talk show last night around how they really were limited from a hardware standpoint in the early days of the watch. And, you know, I don't know, maybe you could bring that all together and say, well, maybe they should have held off on third-party apps initially and then kind of rolled them out in more like a state that they announced for watch OS six, um, kind of at, you know, have that be kind of the first, uh, crack at third party apps. But, you know, then the, the counter to that is, well, then the watch would have been out for what, like three, four years before they allowed third party apps. And that probably wasn't tenable either. So I don't know. I, it, it that's a complicated one. Yeah, it's tricky. Um, yeah, because that is the one thing where like people just under, and going back to the Apple Watch Edition thing that you you brought up, like remember when people were there were, there were rumors circulating where yeah if you bought one of the really high end watches you could take it to the Apple Store and as the watch got faster they would just swap out the processor in it. <laughs> uh, like the, those those were weird days, but yeah, like the watch has gotten just so much faster. Where the Series Four, even though like if if they were like most people probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a Series Zero and a Series Four. Like unless you specifically told them, oh yeah, the screen goes to edge to edge and it's higher resolution and it's faster. Like the hardware doesn't look actually look all that different. It's been incrementally improved consistently, which is great. But yeah, the performance and the battery life and all that kind of stuff has gotten substantially better. Yeah, I'm I'm really, really curious what the story with Apple Watch is gonna be in the fall. Because presumably we're gonna get, you know, series five. And I just I'm not really sure what you know, that last year's was a relatively significant upgrade just because, you know, they, they changed the size of the screen, but I don't, I don't know what that big, um, what that big feature set's going to be this year. Or, I mean, it really, I guess, could just end up being, you know, longer, longer battery life, faster, et cetera. Yeah. I, I think this year's going to be a very minor incremental upgrade year just because I mean, like the, the, S, the series four was a, a fairly, um, dramatic redesign where luckily they did keep uh, band compatibility, but I, I, I don't see it as being that 
dramatically different this year. Um, and then what else was there? I mean, they showed a demo or they, sh- they showed a trailer for their new um, Space Race TV show, which looks looks cool, looks fine. Again, still of the opinion that Apple does not need to be making television shows whatsoever, and it's a fool's errand, and it's um, just fueled by greed, but that's that's fine. It was, it was a really cool trailer. It just would have presented better had they shown it in the services event. It was it was a weird it was a weird thing to show in a developers conference. And I think maybe that just a, a real quick high level takeaway before I forget to bring it up later is I think that was one of the main problems with the keynote is I mean it had everything from a trailer to an original TV show to a six thousand dollar monitor to a complete rethink of how Apple does like or an option that they give developers for like UI development. It it was a very um kind of eclectic keynote. Didn't feel very focused. Um kind of like I think Apple now again like they're they're a fairly large mature company and they've got a lot of stuff going on. Where, yeah, like whenever they have events now, they're kind of not specific events. And this has been kind of a case more in the past few years than it has been in the past. But WWDC is becoming a much less, um, it's kind of just now their summer press event versus being something that is specifically developer focused. So, yeah, it kind of just happens to be the catch all for anything Apple wants to talk about that is not their biggest moneymaker, the iPhone which is what September ends up being. And sometimes there's, um, I mean, usually they'll, they'll tack on Apple watch updates to that and maybe minor updates to the iPad, but that's usually a spring thing. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty much the summer. Here's what's new with Apple thing. And I, and the keynotes are getting more crowded because there's more stuff to talk about. I'm not really sure they could do a better job with it, but I, I think it's mostly fine. I think they they probably could have, I think they could have cut the trailer, and I oh, think they totally they, could have cut the services part, but but you know why they don't? Yeah, and I think they probably could have spent a little less time on the Mac Pro. I think those were the two big pacing things. I think they could have spent more time on the Mac Pro. <laughs> like that is the most important. Yeah, yeah, it's a very important computer. Um. Okay. So and then uh, iOS, because iPad OS is, is the bigger thing, but I, iOS they are. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff going on with app thinning, so updates will be faster. Download sizes will be smaller for most applications, which is something they've worked on in the past. Um, apparently, they found a way to make app launches even faster, and that was one of the big uh, updates in iOS 12. Apparently, they're going to double down on that in iOS 13. Um, they have Apple is now pretending they have invented uh, swipe typing. That's great, uh, but I like. I mean, again, like swipe, like uh, trace typing or swipe typing is a fantastic feature. I'm fine. I'm happy that Apple's finally taking it over. But again, they they are doing the thing that they always do, which is pretending that they invented something. Yeah, it seemed like dark mode, performance improvements, and lots of little improvements across all their native apps were kind of the the big um, takeaways. Um, and I I fall into the Dan Warren camp where I I think the most interesting feature that I want to hear more about is the Bluetooth audio splitting. Cause I think that's just a feature of Bluetooth five. Um, cause I know like the, since the galaxy S nine and a few other things like you can have, um, 
audio, you can actually have two unique uh, streams of audio playing to two separate Bluetooth devices at the same time. So I just think that's a feature that's inherent to um, Bluetooth 5 that Apple is probably doing some just software um, wraparound stuff to make it easier to use and more discoverable. That was sort of the question because it, it seemed like, I don't remember if it got shown in a video or a picture or exactly what the context was during the presentation, but it was shown as like two pairs of uh, AirPods. And so it didn't, it was unclear whether it was an AirPod specific thing or whether you could bring in third-party Bluetooth headphones. But I, I'm really excited to see it because this is like, you know, this is the number one thing that the lady friend and I do like when we're traveling is we'll, you know, like watch a show on my iPad. And, you know, I have, well, it's actually gotten a little more complicated with the new iPad because now I've got the, instead of being able to plug into the headphone jack directly, I've got my little USB-C to headphone jack adapter, which then an audio splitter connects into. And then we Dynex, both, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I don't remember. I, I I had a Dynex one, but I think I lost it at some point. I think the one that I have now is just something from Amazon. Um, and then we, you know, both have to then hardwire our headphones in, um, which like, especially for, for me, and this is, I mean, this is the pinnacle of first world problems, but I've got these really nice QC 35s that are Bluetooth that can also work hardwired, but it's like, they're so much nicer when they're just wireless, but I, I have to have them hardwired when we're sharing audio. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see more about, uh, how that works and kind of what the requirements are for, uh, headphones. Like, are you going to, I guess you bring up the fact that it's a Bluetooth five thing. So yeah, it, it, 1 billion percent is not an AirPods required feature at all, but if they try to like lock it behind a wall for stuff that has like the W one chipset or whatever it's called, that's going to be super, super lame. Well, so how, like how new is Bluetooth five? Is that like, is that cutting edge or has that been around for a little while? A year and a half. It's it like, just like everything in life. Like Samsung's had it just to a less user-friendly degree for two years before it's been anywhere else. So probably like, it probably came out like right after I bought these QC35s. Probably, probably around the time the iPhone 10 came out. Great. Yeah, the problem with man, QC35s. And also it's a bummer that they sound worse when they're plugged in. Like even even though you'd think that the audio quality with a with a wired cable, like there's something where like the um, like it just sounds really flat because there's no audio processing going on inside of them. I yeah, I mean, I guess the only times that I've ever listened to it uh, being with those use the headphones, with them being hardwired is like when I'm on a plane where you know like the audio quality is never really going to be great anyway. So um, I guess I've never really noticed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the dark mode, I, I've got an iPhone eight, so I, I don't care, but like, I, I understand why people like it. Um, I think people think it's, um, they think it's like quinoa. They think it's like some type of superfood that's going to fix all of life's problems for you. But I mean, I think like it, it, it's kind of convenient if you're in a really dark environment, but other than that, dark mode seems like one of those things that's just really overhyped and actually isn't that good. Kind of like dark mode on OS 10 burn i don't know like do you do you care about it like because like there are a lot of apps that already have implemented in advance of this their own dark mode just cut at user requests are there apps that you use that way in an environment other than like i'm about to go to bed uh in which case 
hopefully you shouldn't be using your phone anyway, but like, or in a really dark situation, or do you just think dark mode looks better all the time? I just think dark mode looks better all the time. I have it enabled on Mac OS, any app in iOS that offers a kind of dark appearance. I have that turned on. So I'm, I'm all for iOS having a uh, darker UI across the entire system. I, I, I really like the way dark mode looks. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I think that, that that's mostly it for iOS 13. Um, anything else before we talk about iPad? I guess I can, I can kind of, I, you know, as I like to do, Carlos, I took some, some fairly extensive notes through the presentation. Go for it. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, flipping through this, this small stuff. And I guess the other thing maybe with iOS 13 that seems somewhat relevant, I mean, more so for you or entirely for you and less for me is, is the redesigned CarPlay interface. That seems, Ooh, that there seems pretty okay. nice. No, hey, hey, hey. So yeah, so you can now, uh, or as they suggested in the demo, you can now um, specify what app you want to accept a Siri command. Whereas right now, if I want to do, because like nobody wants to use Apple Maps, no matter how many times they, again, this is another Lucy football situation where they keep acting like Maps is getting better. It's still, even in Apple's backyard, is still very, very bad. So I use Google Maps all the time, but you can't use Siri to do that. You have to manually open up Google Maps on the CarPlay interface, click on destinations, and then use Google's voice input on it, where they have now added some type of Siri intent thing for CarPlay or CarKit or whatever it's called, where you can now specify that you want to navigate with a different app. So that is amazing. And that's also one of those big that actually, I think that genuinely deserves a finally. Because you still even, you can't um, specify like a Pandora or Spotify station using Siri, right? Like all Siri intents are still limited to Apple Music. Well, I think that was something else that they announced was they were um, expanding Siri intents. And I think one of those is audio control. They didn't really demo it or anything on stage, but I, that was it was in a slide or something somewhere where I, I think that's something they're they're finally bringing as part of ios 13 so there's that there's now a um like a new redesigned home screen which i think is i would actually say it looks too busy where i'm not really sure your car screen should be showing you your calendar appointments and stuff but yeah but they're the home screen on um carplay is now no longer just kind of like a, a minimal grid of apps it now shows you um a map that uses serious suggestions to try to um, either determine, are you probably headed home? Do you have an appointment coming up or something like that, where it shows you the time uh, the travel time to your next destination shows you your calendar and shows you a couple other things. So I don't know. I think it's one of those things that I would have to use to see if it's better or worse. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm curious to see what you think of that. Cause it, it does look pretty good. De- definitely an improvement over what it is today. Um, and the only other, I guess, small thing that I have is on the, the home kit side, you mentioned the router piece that they brought up, but I thought the other cool part was the video support for things like video doorbells and security cameras. So this is where there's a really limited number. I think this was part of last year's keynote like part of ios 12 where or maybe it was ios 11 one of the last couple versions of ios they um started including 
um, video doorbell and security camera support in HomeKit. But it's been a pretty limited number that have actually come out that support HomeKit. But now a, a really key value add they're going to start including in cameras that do is storing 10 days worth of video for you for free. So not and, and not even including or not even going towards like your iCloud storage or anything like that, which is great because, you know, I can attest as a Nest Hello owner, you know, Google really pushes that on you where you really you can't go back and look at any archived video unless you pay them their I don't even I don't, I don't even know what their service is a month. They well at least they, if like Nest finally introduced a five dollar plan so that you only get five days of history, but that that's much more reasonable than it used to be. Yeah, but it, but including ten days um, just baked right in, I think is is pretty neat. And it's, yeah, but the, but they also but again, it's still five gigs of free storage. So now that they're just now zero rating and exempting certain type of content types because they now want you to start getting your home also like vendor locked into Apple. That it's nice, but also it's it's masking over a problem they still are not addressing. Well, I I, I view that as a different problem, but point taken. Well, because all of the stuff, like it is literally just iCloud storage space. Like it's doing the on-device encryption and then sending the video up to iCloud, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, I guess actually one one final small thing, which is just kind of a, a funny moment that I wrote down. So, of course, in addition to the infamous uh, reaction to the pricing of the pro display stand. The other little moment that I took note of was, so they had this like AirPods, HomePod, CarPlay, and Siri section of the keynote. That was kind of the last part of iOS. And there was a lot of cool stuff in there, including the audio sharing thing that we mentioned and the new CarPlay interface. And there, there was some pretty, there was some pretty good applause throughout that entire section. But when they got to the HomePod stuff where they talked a little bit about like there's this, uh, I forget what they called it, but um, some kind of like um, handoff feature where you can just like put your iPhone close to the HomePod when you get home and it'll, it'll pick up your podcast or your music or whatever you're listening to. But when they were talking about that, there was very, very soft applause. <laughs> there was not nearly the enthusiasm of anything else that was being announced in that section home home pod is, has clearly not not resonated with people yeah 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 the speakers resonated but the home pod itself haven't <laughs> mm-hmm. um and then sorry one other thing going back to carplay real quick uh that i totally forgot that is one other big um update that makes a ton of sense is apple making it so that if you um if you're using navigation, but somebody else, let's say a passenger is like changing the music, it no longer changes what's on the CarPlay screen, which is amazing. Because now, like if you ever were to be navigating somewhere and then jump over to Spotify for a minute, it literally changes everything that's on the CarPlay screen, which is super annoying. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty smart. Yeah. All right. And then to round out, what, what happened with iPad OS? Well, so I mean, it, it got got its name change, which got spoiled about ten minutes before the presentation. Apple <laughs> Apple updated their terms of service right before the event, and apparently, there's like a, a website or a service or something out there that literally just monitors 
Apple's TOS page and like alerts people when there are changes, <laughs> which is kind of remarkable. Uh, but that that service caught the changes that were made before the events, and the the key thing that people caught was the fact that when Apple was describing their operating systems, they now listed something called iPad OS in addition to iOS. And you know, I I think like the 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 top level takeaway is a lot of it's just a a marketing thing. Um, I'm I'm obviously not a hardcore iPad user, so I don't know. To me, some of the app switching stuff they showed off and the new text editing um, gestures all seemed a, a little confusing to me and not really all that much better than what we already have. I mean, clearly the reaction of the hardcore iPad users has been different, so I, I guess Apple did do a lot of that stuff right, but. But there clearly is a is a marketing component to it, um, and I actually think that the biggest or the I think the most interesting takeaway that I had was a point that I think I heard this first from Jason Snell, probably on Upgrade, which is by separating the iPad out into its own operating system, Apple can't really hide it anymore because we've had this thing in the past where when Apple's talked about the newest version of iOS, like in these WWDC keynotes, they'll, you know, they'll kind of maybe make like an iPad mention here or there, but they kind of largely gloss over it. But because the iPad shares the same OS as the iPhone, people kind of just are like, well, you know, iOS got all this new stuff. So great. But now that iPad OS is its separate thing, it does seem like something that Apple is going to have to address on on probably an, an annual basis, or at least the same cadence that they do their other operating systems. And it's I mean it's possible that it could fall into the same trap that something like WatchOS does, where the updates each year are pretty incremental and not all that exciting. But I still do think it's interesting that this, at least to some degree, is going to hold Apple a little more accountable to addressing the ipad each year yeah yeah like it, it it does make a lot of sense that they're splitting out a little bit and that might be it might now kind of reduce the um having to update the os in parallel with with the phone stuff and there being kind of like ipad years and iphone years yeah but like what i want to know is like how well two things do you think do you think Apple's like overselling how fundamental a difference this is? Cause it seems like it's not that different other than a few gestural changes. And the fact that you now can like the springboard is still no different. Like you can now just kind of have widgets, not in notification center. Like that's all pretty much exactly the same. Um, other than now being able to have apps run multiple instances of themselves and you can kind of window a window those out. And, um, like the gestural differences. Is there a lot there? Well, that's kind of what I was getting at, which is during the presentation, I didn't really feel like there was. And so I, I was like really curious to then go see what like Jason's reaction and Federico's reaction was going to be and Mike's reaction. Like I was kind of expecting to hear some disappointment, but after the presentation, when I started reading what these guys were writing and what they were talking about on their various podcasts, they were effusively positive about everything. So 
So I, I guess Apple nailed the stuff they were looking for. Again, I, I don't really connect with it. Like I don't, I don't even really understand how their current app switching and like slide over and stuff. I don't really get how that works. So it's hard for me to compare this new stuff because I, I don't, I don't really have much of a baseline. Um, but the, but the, uh, again, the reaction seemed really, really positive. So I, I guess I take it at face value that this stuff actually is, is meaningful, uh, meaningful changes. Yeah. Um, you own an iPad pro, right? Yes. Is there any on-device tutorial or anything that explains how the hell multitasking works? Not outside of just the, you know, when you first boot it up, you know, how iOS always highlights a few features um, and that it, you, you get that as part of it. So there's, you know, a couple of screenshots and stuff and the little short videos, but, but not much beyond that. No. It just feels really, really difficult to figure out like and i've tried but like i frequently cannot figure out how to either like not just navigate to the home screen or accidentally bring up the dock or how to actually get two apps to run side by side and then figure out where it actually like i don't know it 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 seems really difficult and that the discoverability of most of the stuff is still really poor um yeah i i just don't know where apple thinks people are going to figure this out like to the point where um, I forget if it was on Cortex or Upgrade, but Mike was um, bringing up that somebody asked him, how does multitasking work on an iPad? And he had to explain it through text, not like by showing somebody. And he was very amazed or satisfied that he was actually able to do it because he it, it made him realize that actually, no, a lot of it is really, really complicated or doesn't make a lot of sense. And even people who are super into the iPad, like Jason, will frequently talk about where it's just like the app pairing and just kind of how it's inconsistent and sometimes just like really fiddly is, is something that I don't know. It, it, it's, it seems like a challenge that I don't know when they're going to solve. Like this helped in some ways. And the fact that like before you couldn't have two separate notes open or two instances of Microsoft word. And as, as Craig talked about, there's nothing more enterprisey than having a word open twice. Um, yeah. Like it just seems like it's, it's, I'm, I don't think this necessarily solves the fundamental challenges of multitasking on an iPad. Like it fixed some of the most glaring ones, but in terms of being able to use it where most people will get it. And it's not just like you're just watching like a wizard work. It was like wondering how they're manipulating windows on screen. Like, I think that still has a ways to go. It seemed like a very iterative update. I, I, it really wasn't a, complete rethink of the ipad like some people had speculated going into the keynote and i i think it leaves you in a position where if you like the way the ipad currently works and you just even you just wanted to see that improved then you're probably really happy and i think people like jason and federico fall into that category but then for those people like us who don't really love the way the ipad works today it's are this isn't going to change our opinion of that because it, it's it's fundamentally the same thing it's just been improved upon um the, the the thing that i will give apple credit for which seems really really um kind of executed on perfectly is the external storage support stuff like it's it seems it seems like there's really not much in the way of caveats or limitations like it seems like it's kind of exactly what you 
want it to be. Yeah, pe- people can look at the like the Easter egg in the presentation where they um, somebody plugs in a USB drive and they have the um, the drive name as Ancient Relic, which I think is is, is dumb. Um, but like it, it it is good. It's still it's still they have it. It looks like they didn't do much to the files app itself. Um, well, actually, no, they they did add a column view, which which will be helpful. But yeah, file management is now going to be a little bit easier because you don't, like let's say if you want to unload a bunch of images onto your iPad, you don't have to... Actually, did they say, does this work on the phone too or no? I think this is iPad only. No. I, I actually have oh. to admit that I had forgotten that the Files app actually is even on the iPhone at all. But yeah, yeah I don't... That's going to be a bummer. I don't know how the whole like USB C versus Lightning thing impacts this. Yeah, damn it. No, it's it's, it's probably just on the iPad. But yeah, so you can now you now have uh, Samba network share support. You have uh, USB drive support, and you can also now do um, camera imports without having to go straight to iCloud. You can now open an app that supports that, and then do a direct import into that, which is. Um, which is good. Again, like it's long overdue, but I'm I'm, I'm happy it it finally made uh, made its way into the into the operating system. Yeah, I think a- that's anything it. else? Yeah, no, I think that is that is kind of kind of it. Coming from two people who <laughs> don't really uh, don't really dig too deep into this this iPad app switching and the more kind of I don't know. Yeah, actually. Uh, a couple other things I'm looking at my notes or, or my, my chat history. Yeah. Tim saying, uh, we have a growing collection of world-class services. Yeah. Didn't get out of here. Uh, Xbox and PlayStation controller for Apple TV. Oh, we've, yeah, we bury the lead that, that actually was, that was pretty cool. And that, as far as I know, did not leak at all prior to the event. So yeah, that was, uh, that was really cool. And I think actually, makes apple arcade potentially a lot more interesting um but but we'll see yeah no i I think i think that's really cool i mean that's been the number one issue with games on apple tv is there just really hasn't been great controllers or controller support and this you know this totally solves it The, the xbox and playstation controllers are literally what everybody use um so so that's great yeah. Uh, two other things in the middle of the keynote, uh, the department of justice, um, is, uh, announced that they are, um, that they do have jurisdiction to, um, have an antitrust probe on Apple where most people thought they were escaping the criticism that Amazon, Facebook, and a few others were. So that was amazing timing. Very, very smart. It's good, good troll on the DOJ's part. Um, and then also, uh, a lot of their privacy initiatives. So Apple now offers a single sign-on or like a social third-party app sign-on, which is very, very interesting because people will often see applications that say, oh, create an account with your email or, and the buttons are much larger, sign in with Google or sign in with Facebook. And Apple is now doing a service called Sign-On with Apple, which has a lot of um, interesting implications for the customer and also kind of weird developer-facing things too. Um, so the benefit here is that um, whenever you use one of those social sign-on services with Google, I'm sure that makes it kind of easier. And for on a, for an app developer, it's um, nicer that you don't have to worry about managing your own security. You can just use an OAuth token through Google and get um, 
a secure login from that. But then, I mean, of course, that service is, is, isn't necessarily free. It means that um, an app that you sign into might get access to some stuff that you wouldn't actually want it to because you forget that Google has your, your birthday, your email, your shopping history, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, so Apple is, is really leaning hard on the fact that um, you shouldn't trust Google, you shouldn't trust Facebook, and uh, we're the people that you should trust to handle your data. We don't want any of it. You're buying devices from us. We're not trying to monetize your data, um, and we respect your privacy. So they are now offering their own um, simple sign-on service, um, which is neat, kind of. But then there's like a couple other shoes that drop. So um, there were reports um, that if you support either Google or Facebook sign-on beginning in the fall, you must support Apple sign-on. It is not optional. Otherwise, your app will not be approved in the App Store. And then they also updated their human interface guidelines, which says that if you do um, do this, uh, I don't know if it will generate an app rejection, but you are strongly encouraged to make sign-on with Apple the first choice or the top of the list, which seems vaguely sketchy. Yeah, we'll have to kind of see the details of this and see how it plays out. It, it seems like there's a lot to like, but it does also somewhat seem heavy handed. So do you ever use any of those or whenever you sign up for something, do you always choose the sign up with email option? I always choose the sign up with email option. Hey, high five for old people. Good. I mean, with, with one password, it's, there's no reason not to. Well, and let me ask a dumb question. If if you do, like, let's say I use the the sign in with Twitter option, which a lot of apps have, what happens if you delete your Twitter account? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, seems weird. Um, anything else? No. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Oh, and the uh, the person who did. Um, a lot of the presentation and the introduction of the um, the pro display was the same person that gave the interview on upgrade, which is kind of neat. Again, the, the the upgrade interview was a little bit um, problematic or, or or questionable, but no, she seemed like a great presenter. She was genuinely enthusiastic about the product that she was releasing, and she somehow maybe maybe there was a rock paper scissor thing that was going on backstage to see who had to talk about pricing, and she managed to get off the stage. <laughs> she got all the, all the fun part about talking about uh, nano etching and, and color gamut and that kind of stuff. And then uh, the dude on stage got screwed. <laughs> he had to be the one that said the, the, um, the stand cost a thousand dollars. So yeah, uh, she, she lucked out, yeah. but no, she's a good presenter and that, that was cool. Um, and it was, it was nice to uh, hear her talk about a product that maybe you can be more excited about versus just saying, her kind of getting stuck having to try to explain why the iMac still ships with a spinning disc and all the other stuff about the iPad, uh, the iMac that's less fun. Yeah, I think that's it. I think it is. All right. You got a chef special in you or no? I don't, I don't have one this week, but I, I'll tease a couple of things. A couple of things that I've, I've just bought this week that could potentially be future chef special picks. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought a... Uh, new USB battery pack that has Qi built into it, which is something that I've kind of been wanting for my travel arsenal for a while. So it has, it has QI in or out. 
Like, does it does it charge wirelessly or does it charge other stuff wirelessly or both? It charges other stuff wirelessly. It itself does not charge wirelessly. I cannot fathom how long it would take to charge one of these battery packs over Qi charging. Because even plugged into a high-speed USB-C uh, charger, which is what I charged this thing with, it still took forever to charge. Is it, um, is it Mophie or off-brand? It's Energizer. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. But it, it's neat because it, it does Qi, and then it's got a USB-C in and out port, and then it's got two USB-A ports. So it, it's, it seems like it's going to be pretty good, but we'll, we'll see. Um, and then the other thing that I bought today that I mentioned to you offline in person yesterday is I went to the the Peak Design flagship store in San mm. Francisco today, um, which is exactly where you'd expect a store like that to be. Um, Direct to consumer row. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you, you, I literally walked by um, the Away store and the Warby Parker store right before I, I got to the Peak Design store. And I bought the uh, Everyday Backpack. So... Um, obviously haven't really even used it yet. So lots more to come on that, but, um, did you get a special edition one or no? No. So I, I opted for the bigger size and they, they only did the special edition in the, the smaller size. I had, they offered it in both sizes. I, I probably would have gone with it. Um, but, but no, I got, got the bigger size. Go do lots of walking. I'm very, very intrigued about how this works for you. Yeah. All right. And then I will actually do the same thing. I have something that I don't know how well it's going to work, but I do tentatively think I have a solution to my travel charging uh, conundrum where I got an anchor product that has uh, one USB-C port and four USB-A ports, which I think will solve the thing of charging my watch, charging my work phone, my personal phone, my laptop, and my camera with just one charger. So cautiously optimistic wait did but you sent me a like this tesla thing oh no that that was gonna be a joke of uh was this the battery pack that you bought oh. because they of course make one because why wouldn't they i had heard something about this and i yeah so the, the thing that the thing that breaks down with this is it only has one usb a port it's only a 6,000, is it milliamp hour? Is that what the, mm-hmm. yeah. But the, then the, the one that I got is like 10,000 and mine's the same price as this one. Yeah. Hmm. So did you have a, do you have a link to the thing that you were just talking about? Uh, I do. Again, it is not endorsed yet, but it is, I'll try to open Slack, not photos. Okay. There we go. So yeah, so the only problem with this is that because I did test it at home before I traveled with it, and the problem is um, the 13-inch MacBook Pro generally wants a 60-watt charger, and using a Thunderbolt 3 cable into the power delivery USB-C port on this only delivers 30 watts. But as long as you're not pushing the processor really hard on the MacBook Pro, it still charges at full speed. So we'll see. But I think this does solve what I need. 
Hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody listening and apologies for the audio quality this week. That's okay. No, I, I think, I, I think the people understand. Yeah. That's, that's one thing about 2019. Everybody's super understanding and nuanced. <laughs>